Where do we start this? And the answer doesn't matter. We're having a good time. Right. <laughs> he couldn't wait to get in here. You need sales balls to make sales calls. Sure. I'm tweeting that puppy. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. We're your hosts, Jeffrey and Jen Gittimer. I'm the author of The Little Red Book of Selling and 15 other best-selling books and the creator of the seven-figure sales formula program. I grew up in Philadelphia, sold in New York City, but was smart enough to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm the author of Sales in the New York Minute and creator of Breakthrough Business Babe Community. Fun fact, I'm obsessed with our dogs and consider them humans. If you have a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sell or Die is for sales professionals, salespeople, sales managers, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to sell more at full price, earn loyalty, and have an unlimited stream of referrals. Every single episode is going to give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can get your calls returned, your proposals read and acted on, all while creating relationships that you can take all the way to the bank. It's time to sell or die. Diehards, you're looking at a person who looks like he's 15, but is actually pushing 40. They can't see him. What do you mean they can't see him? I can see him. It's audio. Oh, it's audio. (laughs) Well, then... uh, we are looking. We are looking at a. My person. recommendation is go to YouTube where we play it in video. But here's the deal: if you're listening in audio, he sounds like a young man, but he, <laughs> he is actually a little bit older than that and has the best data on generations ever uncovered by mankind. Is that fair to say? I've never had a setup like that, but thank you. Thanks. Uh, this, uh, this is incredible. Is a great Jason Dorsey. Can I take you everywhere, Jeffrey? <laughs> yeah, please. And um, I try to give eulogies at the same time the person is alive. <laughs> but here's the deal. He has a book called Z Economy, and it talks about Generation Z, which is the up-and-coming generation. It's Gabrielle's generation. And what they're going to do to, to and for society that the millennials never even thought about. And I think that it will be interesting, and Jen is with me today. You can't see her, but you'll certainly be able to hear her. But please help us welcome the great Jason Dorsey. Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the audience of one goes wild. Woo. Yes, 100% <laughs> of the audience cheered at that. That was amazing. Okay, okay so um, when we were booking this interview, I don't know how it came up, but I, I literally, oh, I know what it was. When I was talking to Insiders Club about you coming on, because I know you're going to talk directly to the Insiders Club and share other things, I did a preview of like, this month, here's what's going on, right? And when I mentioned your name, Jason, and I'll send you the video if you want, but I, I literally said that you are one of my favorite people on the planet of all the people I've met through Jeffrey. And I mean that, right? And so I, I don't want to hype it up too much, but right. this podcast is about to get really, really good because Jason brings real information that you've never even thought about before. I mean, right. this, I've this heard is- a thousand speakers 
But when Jason speaks, I take notes. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, cool? I'm stoked yeah. for this. I'm stoked. So, Jason, what's going on with Gen Z that we need to know about that we can bring back to our child, Gabrielle, and say te- hi? I teach her so. how to make a few bucks. <laughs> there you go. Well, my daughter is the same age, I believe, around the same age as Gabrielle. So, uh, we're living this too. Yeah, I think it might be helpful for all your listeners just to sort of step back and share who is Gen Z, right? So, we know who we're talking about. And yeah. then we can dive into some of these insights and discoveries we've led. So when we think about generations at our research center, which is called the Center for Generational Kinetics, we're all about trying to find the non-obvious insights, the things that just don't show up in news headlines, but really drive the behaviors that we're all trying to understand. And I think- And also drive the revenues. Yeah, and, and absolutely drive the revenues. I mean, that's a big part of what we do. And so for anyone who's not familiar with our work, the Center for Generational Kinetics, we lead primary research, original research all around the world, and we solve both sales and strategy challenges using that research. So we've had over 700 clients around the world, led more than 65 studies. Like this is what we do and really passionate about it. And we've been watching Gen Z and really studying them for the last five years. So to sort of bring all this together, Gen Z, and if you're listening outside the US, Gen Z, the oldest of whom are around 24 years old. And this is really interesting because we were the research center that identified when millennials ended and when Gen Z began. Sometimes there's not an event and there's a transitional period. And sometimes there's like one event that either you remember it and change your life or you don't. And it just so happens that from millennials to Gen Z, there was one event. And that, that singular event was September the 11th, 2001. That was my generation as a millennials JFK moment. But yet Gen Z, who's 24 years old, does not remember 9-11. This Ooh. is a huge deal. They're the fastest growing generation on a percentage basis in the workforce, the fastest growing generation of consumers. I mean, this is the generation to understand, and yet the defining event of the generation before, they don't even remember. So when we think about Gen Z, the first is to know they're older than most people assume. They're already 24-ish years old. What else we've uncovered is their parents are very different. I know you're going to love this, Jen. When we looked at the parenting styles, because, you know, we study parenting. It's the hidden driver that we really need to understand. What we found is that Gen Z's parents were primarily Gen X and older millennials. And what was so interesting is they have a distinct parenting style, which is we do not want you to end up like those entitled millennials. (laughs) (laughs) There will be no trophies unless you win the race and no participation ribbons unless you're going to cut the ribbon to a store opening. And it's so fascinating because it's playing out in all these things, how they shop, how they buy, how they think about jobs. I know in our own house, uh, my wife, Denise, who's also the co-author with me of Zeconomy and has a PhD, I remember Raya, our daughter, brought home a, a participation trophy. And it was this really odd moment where, uh, where Denise says, okay, Raya, we have one rule in the house. You can have a trophy for first, you can have a trophy for second, and you can have one participation trophy but you can only have one at any time. <laughs> so if you want to keep this one, you can't have another one because that's it. It was really a, a quite an entertaining moment. But so this idea that, that the, the parents of Gen Z are intentionally raising them to be more self-reliant, more responsible. Now, as a millennial, of course, some of this hurts my feelings, but if you followed our work before, you know this, Jeffrey, the millennial generation has split into two generations. We've got the megalennials, those who are out there working and producing, by the way, the largest generation in the workforce, number one generation of managers, aka Gen, right? When we think about that generation of millennials and you read the headlines, all the news, it makes us sound like we're all lazy and tall and our pants are falling off, yet we're the largest generation in the workforce. We're driving all kinds of new home sales and just on and on and on we can talk about. But the part of the generation that doesn't have their act together is really struggling. They're the one that gets all the media attention. So I just want to separate those two and sort of stand up for my generation. How are the numbers? Are they half and half? No, because what's interesting is that 
the, it's a self-identified characteristic. So if I ask the millennials in our studies, do you feel like you're making progress in your career? Do you feel like you're moving forward? Do you feel like you're able to be uh, increasingly financially self-reliant? If people self-identify, the split changes dramatically versus external of, do you have a job? Are you saving money? Do you feel like you're in a good relationship? Do you feel like your entry into adulthood has been okay? So, so the numbers move around based on how we do it. But what we see, generally, broadly speaking, is that the majority of millennials, which is a shock, really feel like they're moving forward. But there's a very vocal group that are struggling to create this real world traction. And, and probably most important, around the age of 30, we're seeing that generational split and one part of the generation cannot identify or relate to the other part. And in fact, yes. the, group most, right, Jen? The, the, yes. the, the group most offended by millennials acting entitled at work are actually other millennials who do not feel entitled. Right. Because it's like you give us a bad name. It's not fair. It's not exactly. cool. So when we think about, you're exactly right. So when we think about Gen Z and parenting, you're seeing this big pendulum uh, shift where now people are saying we want to raise our kids differently to exhibit different characteristics. So when we think about Gen Z already 23, 24, 25-ish years old. They are the fastest growing generation in the workforce. They're the number one driver of consumer trends in the United States. And by the way, in most parts of the world, this is a really big deal for sales and marketing professionals. This generation does not remember a time before the smartphone. Now think about that. Millennials remember a time before the smartphone, right? There was, there was a period before the iPhone. Gen Z does not remember a time before that, which changes how you communicate, build trust. Wow. Every yeah. Right? Every second of every day. Hang on a second. Let's let the old fuckers talk for just one second. When I was growing up, there were hippies and non-hippies. And my parents said, these hippies will never amount to anything. They're not, one of them was Steve Jobs, so please don't give me that shit. <laughs> in, the, in the millennial generation, there's a bunch of kids that will never amount to anything. In the Gen Z, there's a bunch of kids that will never amount to anything. It's not generational, it's universal. There's always going to be a tribe of people that don't do anything and end up with nothing. So I, I, I would like to just say that all generations have fall off of, you know, buttheads. So, so yeah. I don't know what those numbers are. Uh -huh. There's probably less in Gen Z because the parents are much more attuned in this new world to kids actually doing something and, and, and making something of themselves. There's a lot more private schools. There's, I mean, the, the iPhone has sophisticated everything. I mean, literally everything and everyone. So I'm hopeful for this generation, but I'm prepared for anything to happen. I know you are because I can see your shirt, which says keep it simple. Um, the the key thing, though, that's sort of missing in that observation, which I think is important to note, is generations have always had late bloomers, which is, I think, to some degree what you're talking about. Oops, yeah. I lost it for a second. The difference is that right now what we're seeing is that the, the age of the late bloomers has shifted dramatically. And this is an important, I mean, we're behavioral researchers. So a late bloomer used to be 25 years old. Now a late bloomer is 35 to 38 years old. Whoa. Where are we seeing people having their first kid that's growing the fastest, 35 to 42 years old? All of a sudden, you have a massive generation of almost 80 million people who are entering this life stage we call delayed adulthood. So they're buying their first home later than ever before in the history of the United States. They're getting married later if they choose to than ever before. They're having their first kid. They're committing to a career. I mean, I can go through this whole thing. So you're right that there's always been a segment that has taken longer to find their own way. And, and I would argue that for many people, that's still the right decision, right? There's no one pattern to success. There's no, oh, you got to go to college or university or, oh, you got to get an MBA or, oh, you got to be an entrepreneur. Like you got to do what works for you. And, and I think the key here is 
that when we interview, uh, and particularly the millennials we're talking about now, there's a group of them that does not feel like they're making real world traction, even though they want to. And what's interesting is that has all kinds of impacts on things like government and expectations from employers and whether or not they can ultimately save for a down payment and so forth. So, so I, I think it's important to just understand these and look at them. The, the interesting part, and what I think is really, we talk about this a lot in this economy book, is that Gen Z is very different from millennials. And this to me is really the key as you think about this generation. What are we seeing? Gen Z is already saving money at a much younger rate. So when we ask them to take out their phones and show us their emergency account, they have money on their phone. Maybe it's Cash App, maybe it's Venmo, maybe it's their green light card, whatever it is, but they're maybe already saving. Target, maybe it's Starbucks, maybe it's the Apple store, whatever their gift card is, they immediately put it in their phone. Yeah. Hundreds of dollars. And the key is though, they're saving some of it for a rainy day which is a fundamentally different view as a teenager than we've seen with past generation, right? This is a generation that gets their birthday money. They take all their birthday money, they put it away, they go back to you and they say, can I have some money? I want to go buy something. And you say, you just got all this money for your birthday. And they say, no, no, that's my money. <laughs> I want right. your money. So what we're seeing is they're much more uh, practical with their money than, pre than the millennial generation was at the same age, which is important because it affects how they shop, how they buy, how they build loyalty, how they want to pay for things, really fascinating. So they have these emergency savings accounts. What we also see is they want to go to work for an employer and they expect to have to work harder and longer in order to be successful. One of the things that's important to them with an employer, which is unusual, is they want to know about the benefits that the employer offers. These are 21-year-olds in national studies saying, I really want to know about retirement matching. Like, who is this generation, right? At the same time, they're trying to graduate from college with less debt, as much, you know, as little debt as possible. We're seeing this consistently. Right? And so you start to think about how they're approaching money in the future, and you do see some very different things. Now, to your original point, there are commonalities across all generations. You know, people like me like to pull out the differences, but there's, there's tons of similarities and that's what binds us. But I do think it's worth celebrating these differences so we can appreciate and figure out how do we leverage them. That's where we get that generational diversity and really start to unlock all the differences we bring. Are Gen Z kids not going to college as much as Gen, as millennials? Well, statistically, we're seeing the continuation of them choosing higher ed at about the same rates. What we're really curious about is are they going to finish? And what I mean by that is, the oldest Gen Zers who are entering college or university right now, um, many of them chose not to go or they're, uh, so they're taking either gap year or they moved to hybrid learning or they're learning only online. Uh, and many of them, uh, when they move to that, historically will not finish. And so what we're waiting to see is, does the group that was 18 to 20 actually continue that formal education or not? Because remember, these are Gen X parents often who are going, I don't want to pay $50,000 a year for you to be on Zoom at home in your pajamas. So there, there's a lot of that that's still being worked through. What we are interested to watch, and we're really trying to understand this, is does Gen Z start to connect careers more with higher education versus the, than just getting a degree from the best school that they can? And saying, I really want to make sure I can get a job or that it has benefits and those sorts of things. And I think that's starting to bubble up more, and we're seeing more of that, which I think is, a, again, a really good thing. But when we look at higher ed in total, I think the opportunity is, does higher ed adapt how they serve this generation? Because now all of a sudden, you've got all these young people learning at home or learning on these devices, and does that become normal? And does that change the experience of colleges and universities? That I think is interesting. And going really deep, just for a second, Jeffrey, the older members of Gen Z are having a very different experience than the younger members. And Because remember, we're behavioral researchers. We're trying to understand the attitudes and mindset. The older members, if you're 18 to 22 or 24, and you crashed into this pandemic, well, what happened? 
Gen Z was the number one generation to lose their job, reduction in pay, reduction of hours, or be reassigned to a job they were not hired for. The younger members, like my daughter, who's nine, what's her experience been? She's on Google Classroom. She's got three screens open. She's the only child, so she has a lot of sort of social and emotional uh, issues around this because she can't see her friends. She feels very alone. But at the same time, she goes to school right now. She's in school right now, going to school in Spanish on Google Classroom. She recorded a presentation yesterday by video, uploaded it to the cloud. The teacher watched it, records their comments, and then my daughter gets to watch it, and then we all get a progress report, and we all get to see that. Now, is that representative of the whole generation? No. But what's interesting is Raya now thinks it's completely normal to go to school through Google Classroom or Zoom. And she's nine, and she's going to bring that forward with everything she chooses to do. I understand that completely. Sometimes she loves being at home. Sometimes she'd rather be with her friends. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that mixed emotion. But the bottom line is, in my opinion, they learn, they concentrate more at home, and they learn better at home, in my well, opinion. And the key is, the older Gen Zers are crashing into this you know, economic challenge, and they're going to have three to five years of economic headwinds ahead much like we saw older millennials crash into the Great Recession. It took a while for them to recover. The point is, the younger Gen Z, like your daughter and like mine, they will have more time to learn from those right before them. And that's what we wrote a lot about in the Z Economy book. They're going to get the benefit of those before them who are going to go into a degree in, I don't know, retail apparel, and all of a sudden those jobs aren't there. They're going to say, I don't want to pursue that path. I want to go to a different one. Or I know now I can really take these classes and get my basics done online and then go to take these higher level in person. Like they're going to get the benefit of the older part of the generation. And we're really curious, does the generation split based on where they were in this pandemic? I, I just wanted to say that um, professionals will always have a college. But normal worker day, like you were just discussing, the retailers, they're going to learn on the job. You can't learn brain surgery at a drugstore. You have to go to school to learn how to be a brain surgeon or a lawyer or an architect. But the the average person looking for a career on the job. So, Jason, I want to go back to something that you were saying before, which was that Gen Z doesn't know anything before the iPhone. So how does that change their um, the way they buy and the way that we should be selling to them? Yeah, brilliant question, as usual. So the, so when we think about marketing and selling, uh, particularly to Gen Z, you want to think about platform as well as message. And so you got to be in the right place where they are, otherwise you're not going to get them. And so we know, for example, that Gen Zers aren't really on Facebook. They love TikTok. They love Snapchat. There's all these different places where they go to. So first, you got to decide, can you be there? Does it fit your brand, your message, your marketing to be there? I would argue that almost every brand should be there. There are certain ones that shouldn't. But for the most part, it's like you know not being on YouTube. If you're not there, you're not discoverable for so many people. So you want to be in the right place. And so at a, at a high level, that right now is TikTok. It could be Snapchat. It could be Instagram. Uh, it could be YouTube. It's probably not Facebook. It's definitely not LinkedIn. So just sort of thinking about that, we want to make sure we zero in on where they are. The second thing we're finding with Gen Z is uh, right now, and this is, I know, controversial, but I never shy away from that. What we see is that the number one most important thing to Gen Z right now when they think about brands, remember they're younger, but their spending power goes up every day, is the social cause of the brand. And this is a real challenge for some brands. They struggle with this. 
But what we have found is that Gen Z is very much driven by the idea that brands and businesses should have a goal and an impact beyond just making money. So what we're working with a lot of brands with is just thinking about what are you doing that's in alignment with what matters to Gen Z? If you really want to win them, this is something you should be thinking through. And in case you're wondering what those are, the number one social cause for the last four years that's mattered to Gen Z was combating climate change or some version of trying to help improve the environment or the, or the, the physical world. The flip side is, in the last 12 months, in our latest state of Gen Z study, you know, we do these every year, we found that the number one most important social cause for Gen Z is social justice. And we believe as generational researchers, the generation has really finally come together around a cause that's going to be theirs, not a continuation of millennials, but the one that defines them. So they're now expecting this from brands. So all I'm saying is, if you're a brand and you want to reach Gen Z, it's very important you go to where they are, you have some causes that you really believe, and don't do the cheesy thing of just giving money. Gen Z does not buy that for a second. Or as I like to tell these executives, you know, when you have a big check you're holding in the middle of a football field, keep in mind this generation has never seen a check and can't read cursive. So you're holding a monetary instrument they don't understand in a language they can't read, probably at a sporting event that they're not interested in. So, you know, it's just... It's hysterical, by the way. Yeah. It's totally hysterical. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I've heard about them. So uh, so I think that's a part of it. The other is that Gen Z is highly visual. And so as other communicators, salespeople, and marketers, they like a lot of text, and they maybe even these long-form, uh, long-lead sales letters, all that sort of stuff. We don't see that working with Gen Z. They want a lot less of that and a lot more visuals. They're video first, which is incredible. Think about it. TikTok has blown up because Gen Z loves videos and music and entertainment, and they're using that to learn. I mean, this is a generation getting stock tips on TikTok, which is crazy. You know Charlie D'Amelio? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know. Okay. Do you know James Charles? I do not. He's a makeup guy. He has 25 million followers on Instagram. And TikTok, on Instagram? 25 million. Mm-hmm. He'll have 25 million views when he launches a video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. In a heartbeat and their merch you know merch yeah it's like merchandise only shorter and more expensive so, so gabrielle has a 60 dollar charlie d'amelio sweatshirt merch yeah. raya orders things all the time that she sees on instagram or tiktok or snapchat or on youtube and does she spend her own money on it oh no no, no. she got plenty of money you're exactly right. No, she yeah. she wants to then find a way to earn it. So her, what she likes to make sure is her balance doesn't go down. That's really a, like a key thing for her, which is sort of interesting. But to your point, uh, those names you said, and then we could go through a whole list of them because there's lots of influencers that interested in micro influencers. We think that's the future with Gen Z, frankly, whereas traditional influencers are more millennials. But the idea that Gen Z trusts somebody because they feel like they understand them and, and vice versa. They feel this sense of, oh, you see the world the way I do. They know their goings on, their birthday parties, their surprise autopsies. But how, but, you how know, is whatever. that any different than the way we sell now? Like I buy from people now as, as a millennial, you know, I buy from people that I, I know, like, and trust, or I, they might not know me, but I know of who they are, you know, and so I'm yeah, following, like, how is that different? Yeah, so so take exactly what you said, no like, and trust. Those work, by the way, with every generation. The difference is 
or do they learn about them? That's where the no part is. Like means do I identify with them? Well, what we're finding this is the most diverse generation in US history. They're looking for different things to identify with in, in dramatically different ways than even millennials did, right? And then trust is interesting. When we study trust with different generations of consumers, some of the generations, I'm not talking to, to anybody that's you know on this podcast, but uh, which, uh, that I'm looking at right now, but you had you had generations that grew up with like, oh, this had the, the triple seal of approval, or this came with a lifetime warranty, or you know, this sort of stuff. These generations don't trust third party, by the way, uh, right. rating interviews. They gotta be from original people. You gotta have a lifetime warranty. Wait, what what could go wrong that I didn't think about? Right. I mean, this is a generation that has come up come of age being able to return everything instantly at no cost, including cars. Yeah, and, and now it's interesting because of the AI, which is obviously a space we work in a lot, as soon as any of the technology platforms get a sense for your behaviors, they're gonna make sure and serve up more of what you want, which was yeah. what makes them so powerful. And then they're gonna condition you to come back over and over. The key thing to me is you have this generation that has come of age, being more proud, more excited of their individuality and their identity and being able to connect with others that also respect and get excited about that. And that's why we're having these bigger conversations. But when it goes back to selling to them, the first part is recognizing that they're not right or wrong. This is sometimes we hear that conversation. It's not right or wrong. It's just understanding these differences and the similarities and then figuring out how do we want to connect with them? Because it's not just nine-year-olds like my daughter. But when we look at who's growing in financial services right now, you got to make sure that you're understanding this new generation if you want to be able to win them over. Otherwise, you're going to lose them to the robo-advisors. If you want to sell a vehicle, they're finally the ones buying the vehicle. I mean, there's so many reasons why this is not just the generation of teenagers anymore. This is the generations of emerging adults who are driving the trends. And if you win them, turns out you win almost everybody else because most of the generations move back towards them. So it's really interesting because like, what if you're a company, you're trying to serve Gen Z, but you don't agree with their philosophy, right? Like, like you mentioned climate change, for example. Okay. So you own a company, not you, but business owner, Joe, and Joe owns a company and he doesn't agree with climate change. He does not his cause. He has other causes and they have nothing to do with the climate. Mm -hmm. Like, does that mean they can't sell to Gen Z successfully? Let me phrase it one other way. Sorry. They're against climate change. It's not just that they don't want to deal with it. It's that they're like against it philosophically. Yeah. So the way we like to think about that is we don't tell brands what social causes to pursue. The key thing with Gen Z is they want to know you have one. So for example, if you want to um, be more attractive to Gen Z, volunteering in your local community is more than any check that you could write. They wanna see pictures and photos of people handing out food or whatever it is, Habitat for Humanity, pick whatever you want. The key is that the generation wants to know that your business to some degree thinks about something more than money. I happen to know the causes that are most important to them, but they're not gonna fit everybody. So you find the one that's true to you. It's more important to find the one that fits your values, your beliefs, your view of the world, than it is to take on one that's not true, because frankly, that will eventually come out. Like you're gonna get caught and Gen Z like gets that. Instead, pick ones that you believe in that align with what you do. But the key is here, you gotta pull it forward. You can't just say, oh, and we donated money to this or we support, like, what does that mean? They really want to see it. Remember, they're highly visual. And going even further, I think this is super interesting on the sales and marketing side. Gen Z is used to everything being super simple, 
customized to them. And when you think about it, being able to sort of start with that end result in mind. So when we teach selling uh, to this particular generation, so many sales professionals now still sell in a linear fashion. This happens all the time when we're dealing with people selling, you know, health insurance or financial services or whatever. They're like, here's our five steps we take you through or 10 steps. I'm sure, Jeffrey, if you spoke to them, they would get rid of all the steps, but I'm just using this as an example. So they have these steps that they take them through. And what we always say is the problem with Gen Z millennials is they're not linear thinkers, particularly younger millennials and definitely not Gen Z because all those steps were taken out. It was already done. So the trick is you got to start with that end result first and work backwards. You start, this is where you want to go. This is what you want. Work backwards with the fewest number of steps. And it turns out they're massively compliant buyers. And not only that, Gen Z are huge referral sources. They love telling their friends when they have a great experience, when they found somebody they trust, when there's somebody they enjoyed working with. And that's why you see these brands just blow up because the generation will go out there and be the best ambassadors ever. They are your best salespeople, all these happy customers of Gen Z. And they're so connected. They over-index for influence, which is incredibly exciting. And there's another thing for salespeople that they have to really watch out for. Um, anyone who starts out with the words, these kids today, they are already done. Mm -hmm. they, the, the millennials have an issue with people that are less technology oriented than you are. That's the whole deal. If you're equal with them, you have a shot at it. And if you're not, you have no shot at it. I mean, I, if I, there's something glitchy in my phone, I have an 11 year old daughter that grabs the phone away from me, fixes it in two seconds and hands it back to me <laughs> with disdain. Like, okay. why couldn't you figure this out? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at it from the perspective of this is something that older salespeople better get with it or just get out of it. Yeah, and another way that I think about it sort of in line with that is you don't have to have the newest or the fanciest technology. You just have to have enough of the technology that you make the experience good for them. Right. In fact, we did a study on this and none of the generations wanted the latest technology because they all thought it was a pain in the butt. But what they wanted is the technology to be easy to work with. And as long as it was easy, then they were happy to work with you. Um, also, I think it's important to note, our research shows that young consumers aren't turned off buying by older consumers uh, from older, sorry, salespeople. So when you think about that, just because you're older doesn't mean you can't sell to them, they don't like you or trust you. It just means you got to still make sure you're communicating in a way that works with them, really seek to understand them. And it, by the way, it's not about coddling or catering to, but you know me, I'm very candid. It, on the employment side, if you're struggling to recruit, then you're not marketing well, bottom line. On the sales and marketing side, the difference is somebody will adapt to this generation, period. There are people out there that all they're thinking about, you know, I work in venture capital every day is how do we put banks out of business? How do we rethink apparel? How do we rethink cars? And that's all they're going in every single day. And there are enough people out there that will adapt to this generation. So if you don't adapt, it's the same thing as saying, I'm okay to go out of business because somebody will adapt to this generation of consumers. I happen to think it's not expensive or hard to do. You just got to know what to do or they will follow somebody who's winning. Yeah, totally. So if you just look at the disruption that happened in the car industry two years ago, when all of a sudden one guy has a battery that actually works, when everybody for a hundred years says, oh, batteries, they don't work. We'll never, they, they use the word never all the time. And all of a sudden, every car maker has a battery car. Isn't that a miracle? Yeah. I wonder how it happened in just that one year that they all of a sudden found out that it was possible because one guy came into the marketplace, completely tore it apart. I mean, completely tore it apart. And now these, these Mr. Know-it-alls that couldn't do it for a hundred years have to put it back together again and they're not doing well at it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and the way I like to think about that through a generational context, because that's what we're always looking at, and you've heard mm -hmm. me say this before, and it's in this economy book, technology is only new if you remember it the way it was before. Why is that important when it comes to, as you said, you know, stop. That's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. You're welcome. Yeah, that's really Can you good. say that again for our audience? It might be slow on the uptake. <laughs> if they're listening to you, they're not slow on the uptake. But yeah, I'll repeat it. And that is technology is only new if you remember it the way it was before. Wow. And, and how that applies. It's a given, correct? I'm sorry? Otherwise, it's a given. This is a given. It's not exactly. You got it. And, and you're exactly right. This is what I talk about in all these speeches and virtual presentations I'm doing. So take your electric cars, for example, and, and potentially Elon Musk as an example. To me, yes, he's causing all this amazing change in his team and, and everybody's seeing it's possible, but this is what's wild. You're going to have Gen Zers right now who do not know a time before electric cars were normal. That's all they've ever known. They're not going to have mileage anxiety like other generations had because that was all solved. It's not going to be weird to have an electric car. It's going to be weird to have an internal combustion one because that's all they've ever known in the same way that you either know an iPhone or you don't. And so when we look at this, it's create massive opportunity for companies and sales leaders that recognize this and adapt. And then those that don't, I mean, it's going to dwindle over time. I always had this vision of Gabrielle coming over with a couple of her girlfriends and saying, hey, you guys, come here, look, you got to see this. My dad's still using a keyboard. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. In the Z economy book, I talked about it. We uh, the whole generation of Gen Z. What's interesting? The younger ones um, don't have to learn to type as fast as you would think because everything they do is voice to text or audio. And when you watch Raya, she'll hit the microphone. We we have all this kinds of video, this sort of stuff. It's pretty neat. Where they'll hit the microphone to talk to it, or they will um, just talk to Siri or Alexa. And to them, that's totally. Raya wakes up every day and says, "Alexa, tell me a joke." Alexa. What's the weather today? And like, play me a song that will make me happy. Like every morning, this only child starts with a full conversation with Alexa that's, you know, just sitting on her desk. Right. Absolutely. Oh man, that's so cool. Love it. Also okay. get uses Alexa to do her homework, which is something where that's a, that's a known bug. We got to work out. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So before you go, I want to just talk about the one Wait, really, really big thing. I know. The one really, really big thing that happened between now and the last time we saw you, which was COVID. COVID. Mm -hmm. So talk about, if you've already done research on this, what, what that looks like and how it's impacting generations differently. Sure. We've done a number of studies on this and we've, we've released them. We, we put them out. They're all free because we think this is a really important topic that's not being addressed through data. When, when we think about COVID, the, the way that we look at it is through a generational lens. And just sort of quick recap, you stay in the same generation, you pass through different life stages. And I think that's important because this is not just a generational conversation around COVID, but really life stage as well. And so what our research has uncovered, and just a quick recap, for Gen Z, remember the oldest members are having a much more negative experience, at least in terms of education and workforce, because they thought they'd be increasingly independent and self-reliant. They got hammered. The younger part of Gen Z, we think is going to gain some really uh, powerful skills. They'll carry forward to have the benefit of the oldest part, uh, sort of trying to figure it out, and they'll get the, the institutional knowledge of that. Um, but we think there's a lot of social and emotional they're going to carry. Here's where it gets interesting. We look at millennials, what our research shows is that millennials feel like they've been bookended with these really awful events that were outside of their control. First, it crashed into the Great Recession, and then because of that, wage stagnation, rising cost of living, student loan debt, all this really strong economic headwinds uh, hurt the generation, the oldest members. 
Now, right after millennials finally said, and our data showed, they were really starting to create this traction to move forward, crashed into this pandemic. And then they also feel like they got the carpet pulled underneath. So they feel like they've been bookended or had sort of barbell bad events that they're trying to figure out what does this mean? And then we're seeing everything get delayed. Like I shared marriage, houses, kids, committing to a career, all sorts of things. And we think that's gonna to continue to play out. But where what I'm most interested in now is Gen X. So what Gen X tells us is that they feel like they're being pulled in three different directions. They're often taking care of a parent or parents who are aging. They're taking care of a child or children, and they're trying to maintain their job or look for a job. They're really being pulled in three very different directions. In our study, our latest one, Gen X was the generation most likely to be in the same job, in the same role uh, of all the generations, because they were old enough to have the accumulated experience and also be high enough up in the org chart where they're really important to keep, which is pretty fascinating. And so they feel very stretched. We live this at our house. You know, my wife, Denise, uh, her parents are in their 80s. And, you know, for example, during the snowstorm that we just had here in Texas, we were trying to figure out how do we get somebody to pick them up? How do we get them their prescription? How do we do all like work? It's a, you know, my, for Denise in particular, this is a real weight for her because her parents are in their 80s and they're increasingly need need help. And then we have a daughter who's nine who's struggling to learn math, you know, on, on Zoom. So all of these things, plus we're running a business. So so Gen X really feels pulled in three different directions. The, the latter, though, when we look at baby boomers is also super interesting. The, the early predictions were that baby boomers would have to draw down on their retirement savings. And what we found mathematically is that did not happen. Instead, what they did is they drew down on their emergency savings, but not their actual investments, which is a good thing for those that have it because the stock market has been fairly robust, obviously, um, through this pandemic up to this point in time. But what we're seeing is boomers are telling us because of what happened, they think they're going to have to work longer than even they planned because they had to draw down on their emergency savings. And many of them had to help their kids who either lost their job or had a change of employment or had something going on. So all of this is sort of playing together, which leads to the big aha that we had, which is you, you hear this all the time. I know you all do these CEOs. They go on social media, they go on the news and they say, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And what we uncovered through our research at CGK is that is absolutely not true. In fact, not only is it not true, it hurts your credibility because what we uncovered is, yes, we're all having this experience at the same time, but our personal experience can vary dramatically based on generation, gender, geography, socioeconomics, and more. So the key is, you know, we're, we're in this storm, but as the expression goes, all of our boats are different. Some people are in a dinghy, and then Jeffrey, you and Jen are in a, in a super yacht, probably flying in your, your helicopter. Hold on a second. Let's look at it a different way. Some people have lost a parent. Mm -hmm. And some people just ran out of toilet paper. And so you have to you have to understand where the, where those barriers are and what has actually happened. If you're in sales and you don't understand how to communicate with your customer, how to get to understand who they are and what they've been through, you lose. Absolutely. And, and what's happened is that sense of empathy is more important than ever before. And I, and I think that is something, the humanity that, that's finally come out, that's what people are looking for more than anything else during this period of time. And you lose that when you say things like we're all in this together because yeah. it's not true. And so one is to just really avoid that as we think about that. The other thing is when we look on the other side of COVID, which we're you know looking towards, people are going to have a different recovery experience, you know, both financially and otherwise. And we want to be thoughtful that just because this is over, you may have people that have been out of work for a year, year and a half. They're having a different experience coming out of this than somebody who had a great job and so forth the whole time. Uh, while I was still subscribing to The New Yorker, which I've not. Uh, if you remember after 9-11, it was all kumbaya in New York City and people were, you know, helping each other out. 
a year after 9-11, I get a cartoon from the New Yorker with five guys standing on line. And the guy at the end says, it's hard, but I'm getting back to hating everyone. And eventually you go back to the way you were. All of this COVID thing is temporary. You may look at, well, things are never going to be the same again. You're right, it's not. Air travel is not going to be the same. Uh, group meetings are not going to be the same. But we'll get used to it. And the challenge is you still had a personality when you went into this, and it's likely you're going to go back to that personality when we're out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, the key as a generational researcher is, are you choosing to adapt or not? And yeah. that's really the secret. If you're willing to adapt to this period of time, you will find a way through it and out of it. And to your point, I mean, my daughter came home and she's like, I want to go see grandma so bad, but I don't want her to die because I might have COVID. That's a lot of weight for a nine-year-old to carry around. Wow. You know? Wow. So that's why it's so important that we have these conversations. And, and that's why we're, you know, I love being on the show with y'all. Y'all are just amazing and you inspire me. And you challenge people to keep thinking differently, which is so important. Thank you for being here. So when you come over um, soon <laughs> with your daughter and your wife, of course, uh, we're half price in our guest room. Uh, so just bring your credit card. Oh, my goodness. And- <laughs> I'm not going to say what age you are when you said bring your credit card. That was amazing. Oh, very funny. Do you want to run it through a knuckle buster? Would that help you? Yeah, actually, it would help me. Um, I do use Apple Pay. I I can tap. Oh, Uh, man. Um, Jason, we want everyone to go get a copy of your book. We're going to put Z Economy in the show notes, and we're going to link it there to make it easy for you, Die Hard, to go get that. And if anybody wants to hire Jason to come in and give you the real story on where your generational problems are versus what you think your problems are. Because most people think in reality are two different things. And how to sell to your customers across different generations. Yeah, hello. Uh, This will not be the only time you'll ever hear Jason Dorsey on uh, Sell or Die. I can promise you we're gonna be doing something else with him. It'll be a deep, dark secret. But for the moment, we're gonna try to make sure his message gets out to as many people as we can all around the world. Jason, where's the best place for people to contact JasonDorsey.com. you? JasonDorsey.com. Yeah, JasonDorsey.com would be absolutely fantastic. You can download our research for free there and watch our, our videos and uh, just get a lot of great content, which I think is so important right now. And, and if I can be a resource, you know, definitely reach out. And always an honor to be with y'all. You're, he you're is investing great. very heavily in hair gel companies. <laughs> Because that's part of his. Uh, oh man! Hey, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> wow, Jeffrey. I mean, no, this is just my hair, and uh, let's let's not be jealous because we're both on video. I think you look great. Okay, thank you sir. look great. All right, thank y'all are the best. Thanks for having me. Always, always a joy. Thank you so much for listening to Sell or Die. We hope that this episode has helped you transform the way you think, given you new ideas, and provided you a new perspective on the sales and business challenges that you face every day. So you can get out there and win the customer all the way to the bank. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us help more people just like you make a difference in this world. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it in your Instagram stories, and tag us at Jeffrey Gittimer and at Jen Gittimer. See See you you next week. week.